Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you doing, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I'm very well, thank you. Good to be here. Good to have you on. And we're joined by Joe Fischetti. How are you doing, Joe? Long time no see, but great to have you back on. Yeah, thank you. It's a it's a pleasure to be back on. I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, all good here, thank you. And and I'll come to you first, Joe, because we're going to kick off um, looking back at Saturday's game between Napoli and Inter. Um, I think following Inter's you know slip up in the derby the previous week, we we're all really looking forward to this one. It ended one all. Uh, Napoli took an early lead with an Insigne penalty. Inter hit back just after the interval with Jeco. How do you reflect on the game? Do, are you, you know, reasonably positive about the result, or do you perhaps see it as a missed opportunity to close the gap even more to Inter? Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I think uh, my initial reaction was disappointment, uh, particularly with the way the second half went after a really strong first half. It seemed like Spalletti was content with the draw, and I would have liked to see them go more for a victory there. Uh, to reduce that gap, as you said, it I guess technically would have put Napoli top of the table, but Inter have that that game in hand against Bologna, and we assume they're going to win that. So that would have reduced the margin. On the flip side, we also have to bear in mind that the top priority this season was to qualify for the Champions League to finish in the top four. And there's there's a view that going for the victory in the second half there would have exposed Napoli at the back and potentially uh had the opposite effect and and maybe Inter scores on the counterattack and that could, it's only one point, but that could harm the the qualification chances for the Champions League. If you look back at last season, Napoli missed Champions League by one point. So mixed feelings, I think a draw is, a, is an okay result. It means the Scudetto race is still uh, open. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask you what, one more um, question as well, Joe. And you sort of raised it there where you said, you, you thought Napoli was sort of happy with the draw. Um, you know, Napoli haven't won the title in over 30 years. Is there a danger that they're sort of talking their way out of a title race in terms of, oh, we're, we're happy enough with top four? And is there a part of you that's just like, oh, I, I just want them to grab it and really go for it because, you know, Inter may be the best side on paper, but it, it's there to, to go for, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. From a fan's perspective, that makes the most sense, right? We want to see Napoli win a Scudetto. It's been a really long time. I do appreciate maybe the club's reservations, particularly financially, um, having not qualified for the Champions League two seasons in a row. But you would think that, you know, if you're if you're trying to win the Scudetto, then you're also at the same time, by definition, trying to qualify for the Champions League. So yes, I would have liked uh, to see a more aggressive approach in the second half. I think the substitutions were were interesting, but they again supported the notion that Spalletti was playing for a draw there. From an Inter perspective, Francesco, um, that's now three of their last four games they haven't won. Obviously, draws away at Atalanta and Napoli and losing the derby to Milan. You know, not horrendous results by any means, but their lead has started to be chipped away at. Do you still see them as, you know, quite clear title favourites or... Should there maybe be slight concerns that they're looking a little more fragile now? I think the fragility that you allude to is is relative. Um, this was always going to be a difficult period of the season for Inter. Uh, they've got this bunch of difficult fixtures back to back, and also it's quite a congested fixture list because they're playing midweek as well in the Coppa Italia, and 
in the Champions League this week. And I actually think that um, this weekend was actually quite a, quite a show of resilience from Inter. I think Napoli played really well in the first half. Um, and having taken the leads, they were in complete control. And so Inter, in this difficult situation, probably in the, the most pressure they felt in a long time, um, the fact that they were able to come out in that second half and still pick up a draw, I think shows quite a bit of resilience on their part. And for me, they still are the, the favourites. Um, I think for them now, it, it probably is... I mean, one of the things about this, this difficult period of fixtures was that they built up a lead. Um, they put themselves in a really good position so they could afford to drop a few points in this section of the season. Um, but now, uh, in the league at least, it, you know, they've got to the point now where they really do need to get back on track. I think the Sassuolo game is is a bit of a pressure game for them. It's a tricky fixture and um, it is going to be interesting to see if they're able to win that and kind of get back on track. Um, but yeah, overall, I would still say that that they are the favourites. Yeah, and Sassuolo have been a bit of a bogey team for them at times over the years as well, haven't they? So, so that that could be an interesting one. Um, Joe, just one last thing on Napoli for now. Um, Kaladu Koulibaly, um, I, I've seen sort of a highlights package going round of his, uh, you know. Uh, actions from the game and he had another exceptional game of course he's just won the Africa Cup of Nations with Senegal are we talking about the best defender in Syria right now do you think well I'm obviously biased on this but he's definitely up there I think uh you know he came back it's funny because a lot of clubs obviously didn't want their players to go to AFCON but in Koulibaly's case I think this was the perfect thing for him because he had suffered an injury in December and this tournament allowed him to get right back into top form so that when he came back to Napoli, you know, not only was he back in form, he was also confident having won a, a big international cup. So uh, fantastic match. I think he's one of the best uh, defenders, center backs in Serie. I think there's, there's quite a few still very, very good ones, right? Like the lick that uh, Juventus screen yard Inter, but he's, he's definitely up there for me. He's the best. I'll say that. Yeah, and of course, a huge moment for him winning with Senegal. So I remember he was suspended for the final in 2019, which was a real tough one for him. So so great to see him get that trophy. Um, what was that last week now? Um, but moving on to the side who now tops Serie A, and that's Milan. Um, Francesco, they picked up a, let's say, a workmanlike 1-0 win against Sampdoria, a winning goal from Raffaeliao and an assist for Mike Mannion, the goalkeeper. Um with regards to Raphael, I think for quite a while, some people were not too sure about him. He's been in Syria, I think, two and a half, maybe three years now. But this season, he's really kicked on. Do you think he's maybe got a case for being sort of the most improved player of the last 12 months or so? Yes, I do. Um, I think that he's also still very young. So he's, he's only 22 still. And... Um, he is a player who I think has everything. Um, you know, he has really lots of technical ability. Physically, he's extremely fast, but he's also quite a big guy. I think he's one meter eighty-eight, so he's tall for a winger. And I, I feel like it, I'd go further than saying one of the most improved. I'd say one of the best. Full stop in the league this season. I, I, I can't think. For me, right now, he is Milan's most important player. Um, 
and I didn't think I'd be saying that you know in the summer although he, even last season he'd, he'd already shown to be improving and um, you know I think he can really go on to be in his position one of the best players in Europe because he has all the raw ingredients to 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 do that I think and I just want to also ask you about um, the striker situation at Milan. Um, you know, we've seen Giroud get a couple of braces recently, one in, one in the Coppa Italia as well as they um, thrashed Lazio last week. Ibrahimovic, you know, is uh, struggling with fitness and stuff. We saw him doing sort of sit-ups with a punch bag the other day. I don't know if you've seen this video. Um but when he does come back, do you think that he should just be the backup striker now and Giroud deserves a prolonged run in the team? It's, uh, it's a good question. Uh, for me, in absolute terms, I still feel like Ibrahimovic is a better player than Giroud. I think he, he brings more to the team um, and he, he just offers more. Um, Giroud has been really good in these last few games, but but I mean, in inverted commas, all he's done is score goals. I don't know how he, he, you know, helps his team much. I think Ibrahimovic contributes a lot more in terms of constructing play and things like that. And so, in absolute terms, I'd say that Ibra is, is the one to go with. But having said that, if you look at Milan's stats this season, with and without Ibrahimovic, they're actually averaging a whole, you know, over a point more without Ibrahimovic. It's quite interesting. They, they've played 14 times without Ibra and they've won 13 and drawn one. The only draw they had was against Juve. So they've been really very impressive when Ibra hasn't played. And um, whilst this is an, already kind of a, a talking point and it's going to be interesting to see what Pioli does, I think in terms of next season and prolonging Ibrahimovic's contract, it's even more interesting. At the moment, he is, by some distance, the most paid player at Milan. I think he gets 7 million euros a season. That is the wages of a, a top, top player in Serie A. If you think that Vlaovic is getting about that now at Juve, it's what, more or less what Lukaku was on at Inter last season. So we're talking about the wages for, for one of the best players in the league. And that is going on someone who at the moment is only able to play 50% of the games really for Milan this season. And when he's not there, the team have shown that, you know, they don't necessarily need him. I think when he first arrived at Milan, when Milan were really almost at an all-time low, he made a huge difference. His presence, his experience coming into a very young side. And I think he, he made an important contribution. And there was almost a kind of view that Milan were kind of Ibrahimovic dependent. But I think what this shows these results show this season and a little bit last season as well this this pattern isn't just this year it was last year as well when he was missing matches Milan was still pulling out wins so I think what it shows is that the team has come on they don't really need him as much as they used to and whilst I still think when he's fit he he can contribute I'm not sure that at, at that amount of money I would be renewing him so into you know this season it's going to be interesting to see who plays out of Giroud and Ibra, but, but especially going on to next season, whether Milan decide to keep him on, especially on those wages, is going to be interesting. And just one last thing on Milan, uh, Joe. Um, we saw with Napoli sort of around December, they struggled, and, and early January, actually, they struggled with injuries and also a lot of COVID cases. 
a similar sort of thing was happening at Milan, but we saw this weekend the return of Tamori, um, and and also while he was away, the emergence of Kalulu. So it seems that Milan are actually almost back to full strength, but around about the same time as Napoli are pretty much back to full strength. So how do you see them as a title rival? Are, are they a side that you're quite confident Napoli can get the better of, or, or do you think it's a really sort of 50-50 race between now and the end of the season? I think it's a 50-50 race. For some reason, a lot of people are down on Milan. Maybe they're thinking back to last season, but I think Milan have improved in the in the summer. And, you know, they've showed, as Francesco said, uh, they, they find ways to win even when guys like Ibrahimovic are, are not available. I, I think this is legitimately a three-horse race still. Um, you know, one thing that Napoli and Milan have – um, that Inter don't is is a bit of a lighter schedule, and Francesco alluded to this as well with the the Champions League two very intense fixtures against Liverpool that Inter have. Then both Inter and Milan play each other, so two more derbies in the semifinals of the Coppa Italia. Those are intense matches, but Inter have the easier run in. Um, if you look at really, I've I was looking at this uh, recently, and Inter have only dropped points in matches basically against top five teams. I think the only team that's not in the top five that they drop points to was Sampdoria in match day three or four. Um, and the only top five team they have remaining is Juventus. So you look at that and, and you think Inter are probably, you know, the, the favorites, but I think Milan and Napoli are both uh, sort of equally competing for the Scudetto. Just, just quickly on that, Sam. From my from my point of view, having uh, I mean, it's, we can compare kind of the past two weeks because they've they've crossed paths, if you like. You know, Milan have played Inter, and then Napoli have played Inter. And whilst Milan beat Inter, if you look at the two games, I feel like the team that caused Inter the most difficulty and the team that seemed, based on the performances, much better was Napoli. I, I think the real threat to Inter, you know, right now is Napoli. And um, going back to what Joe said about being careful about not dropping out the Champions League places, I know that's, um, that's obviously the bottom line this season for, for all of those clubs. I think getting into the Champions League is so important because of the economic factor. But one of the, one of the reasons that I think Spalletti's decision to kind of defend that draw a little bit also makes sense is because if Inter had beaten Napoli this weekend, I think it would have been very difficult to see Napoli coming back into it because it would have been a four-point gap and then, you know, a virtual seven-point gap if you think about the, uh, the Bologna game coming up for Inter. So at that point, making up seven points on this Inter side is going to be difficult. But but with this, it keeps that, that little bit of scoreboard pressure. And I still feel like Napoli are very much in the title race. And to me, it feels like they have a deeper squad and, and are more of a threat than Milan. I, I you know, but, but I also, I, I think I'm one of the people, you know, that Joe alluded to, those people who are a bit down on Milan. And I don't really know why, but I just feel like their permanence at the top of the league feels more fragile. Um, you know, I, I feel like they have, they are, they're just not as good as Napoli and, and, and Inter. And um, it feels like they, they can throw in, you know, dud results like, like we saw against uh, Spezia, for example. Um, I know that happened to Napoli as well, but I feel like that was, uh, you know, a symptom of the fact that they were missing so many key players at that time, whereas Milan are more susceptible to those kind of dips. But, but yeah, maybe I'm wrong. But to me, the, the real threat, to, I, I feel like Inter are favourites and the real threat is Napoli. 
perhaps Milan will just go under the radar if you if you can do that when you're top of the table we'll we'll see but yeah obviously only only two points separating those three sides at the moment so um of the top five European leagues that this is the title race to follow that's for sure um moving on to the other sort of big game of the weekend and that was fourth v fifth Atalanta against Juve um it looked like Atalanta were going to win this with a Malinowski stunner, which we say pretty much every other week now. But Juve got a late equaliser to, to just stay ahead of Atalanta in the league. Um, it's, it's been a really tough week for Atalanta, actually. They lost to Cagliari, then got knocked out of the Coppa Italia by Fiorentina. Um, how, how sort of costly do you think this draw will, will be, Joe? Do you see Juve as quite clear favourites to get into that top four now? Or do you think Atalanta can maybe hold them off? Yeah, it's not looking good for Atalanta at the moment. The other thing is not only have they dropped some points lately, but they lost Duvan Zapata uh, yeah. for the rest of the season. And I, I wonder how much of an impact that's going to have on their ability to score because Luis Muriel hasn't had a typical Muriel season, certainly not like the season he had last year. And now they're relying on guys like Malinowski and, and some of their other midfielders and wingbacks to, to contribute the goals. And I don't know how sustainable that is. And then at the same time, Gasparini has been playing with his formation. He's, he's toyed around with a four-man back line here and there. And, you know, they, they sold Gozins. They brought in Boga. It just feels like there's a lot of change happening at Atalanta at a very sort of important juncture in the season. And, that could be problematic. And then you look at Juventus and the form that they're in and the way they're playing since they signed uh, Vlahovic and Zakaria. And it seems like, you know, the, the momentum is definitely in their favor. They're playing with that three-man attack. It's sometimes a, a 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2. But with, with Dybala, Morata, and Vlahovic all on the field together, and for me at the moment, as, as much as I hate to admit it, I think Juventus are far more likely now to uh, finish in the top four than Atalanta. It certainly seems to have the momentum with them. I, I watched that Atalanta-Fiorentina game and Atalanta gave away two ridiculous penalties and then then Milenkovic just smashing one in the bottom corner right at the end to win it. Um, that, that was a crazy match. Um but yeah, from a Juve perspective, Francesco, it's looking good for them. But was this maybe a little bit of a reality check that although they're starting to pick it up over the last sort of month or so with performances as well as results, they're still a little way behind that top sort of two or three sides in the league? I think it was a bit of a reality check in the sense that, um, you know, a lot of a lot of I think mainly Juve fans were talking about them going the rest of the season unbeaten. Um, and uh, you know maybe that dream is over, but um, they've they have been building something for a while now. It's not just since the transfer market. It's it's been you know the last game they lost was actually the, the reverse fixture against Atalanta in, in November, I think. So it's been a while that they've been picking up results, and they have been slowly improving. I think what the what this arrival of Vlaovic more than anything else has done has brought kind of a new enthusiasm and it's also changed their formation a bit. I think for the first time in three matches, Allegri has basically played, you know, three matches back to back, Allegri has played the same system with a front three. He's really, you know, gone big with Vlaovic, Dybala and Morata. And um, that seems to be working quite well. Um, and my my perception is that Juve, the Juve, the level that they're showing right now is actually pretty close to the top sides in Serie A. 
The issue for them is that they have quite a bit of ground to make up. I think with that game in hand, Inter could potentially go 11 points clear of Juve and to make up that amount of points with only kind of, I think it's 14 games left, it's, it's going to be difficult. But but right, you know, if the season was starting tomorrow, I'd say that Juve would be right in the in the mix with with the rest of those sides. And and the other thing I'd mention is is Dybala. You know, we spoke quite recently about Dybala and whether he'd renew next season. I actually think that since the transfer market, he has been Juve's best player. I think he's he's been better than Vlaovic, and that has surprised me a little bit. I thought there might be a few. You know, I thought the Vlaovic uh, signing might also was almost a sign that actually Dybala is going to leave in the summer. And his reaction to Vlaovic arriving has been really impressive he's been really good and I've also been surprised how good he looks physically you know when we spoke about it a little while ago the big question mark for me about Dybala is his physical integrity and he's he's looked really good from a physical point of view you know he was running away from Atalanta defenders yesterday and he's been really impressive so I feel like things are, are going really well for you at the moment and I feel like right now the level they're playing is kind of as good as as Inter's and Napoli's or, or certainly close to that it's just they have quite a bit of ground to make up so we'll see what happens but but exciting times you know looking towards next season of course the way I was sort of talking there was as if Atalanta and Juve are the only sides you could get that fourth spot but but actually things have closed up quite significantly um I want to move on to Lazio now who have had a typical Lazio week, actually, where they've won two league games 3-0, but lost in the Coppa Italia 4-0. Um, don't really know what to make of that. But but they did look good against Bologna and scored a lovely team goal as well. Um, they're now just four points behind Juve in fourth. So, Joe, do you, give them, do you give them any chance of getting into that top four? Or are we looking at another sort of Europa League, maybe Europa Conference League finish for Lazio? I think it's it's a long shot, but it's it's within reach, certainly. I think they're going to need some help from some of those clubs above them. But Lazio are, are finding their form, and it's odd because they, they only offloaded players uh, during the winter. They didn't bring anyone in. I think they had one player that they registered um, that they signed in the summer. But they're starting to put some results together. Their big struggle in the first half of the season was that they were conceding too many goals. And they've, I think collected four clean sheets in a row now um, so you know if they keep up that sort of play then they definitely have a shot I think it's a it's an outside shot when you consider the competition at the top four and I think the realistic goal is probably your yeah and Fran- Francesco well, well, I, I think I think that that's sorry okay, okay. yeah yeah so I was just saying I, I think Lazio have done a really great job of hiding how well they've been doing over over the recent weeks. I mean, media-wise, they've done a terrible job. There's been infighting, rumours that Sarri's left an ultimatum with Tari, with Tare that, that one of them has to leave at the end of the season. They got absolutely hammered by Milan in the Coppa Italia, you know, so the televised match that everyone's going to see, that's where they, they absolutely do not turn up and get destroyed. But Joe's right, this is, this is their fifth clean sheet in a row. Um, and that hasn't happened with the Sarri side since he was at Napoli. Uh, Lazio also have the second best attack in in Italy, which I was I was surprised reading these stats. And in 13 of their 25 matches this season, they've scored three goals or more. It's really quite impressive. Um, and if you look at the form guide as well in the last 10 games, Lazio would be second. They'd be joint second with Milan, and uh, only Juve has, have picked up more points in in those 10 matches. Uh, Inter have played a game less than everyone else, but so so we're talking about you know for a period now that Lazio have been really good. 
I think one of the things to note is how that is coincided with kind of either Luis Alberto reconciling with with the, the way Sarri wants to play or Sarri understanding that Luis Alberto needs to play. I think, you know, he, he got a brilliant assist this weekend and, and him being in the team elevates this Lazio side. But to me, this, you know, this they've kind of started to do what we were sort of expecting at the beginning of the season. And um, I think I, I'm in agreement with Joe. I think it's going to be difficult for them to get in the Champions League. But... If, even if they get into the Europa League, that would be a good result for them. I think top six uh, would be a good result. And certainly looking into the future, provided everyone stays, I mean, it sounds like they all hate each other behind the scenes, but if they do stay going into next season, then um, I think there's potential for something to happen at Lazio. I just wanted to ask you, uh, Francesco, just on one player as well from the weekend. He, he scored a couple of goals and that's the Kanye. Um Obviously, Italy have these... You know, huge World Cup playoff games coming up next month. Um, he seems to be forming quite a good partnership with Immobile, who will probably lead the line for Italy still in the, in those games. Is it worth giving him a call up? Perhaps he's not a starter as they have Insigne, but someone who can maybe come off the bench and make an impact? Yeah, I definitely think it is worth it. When I was you know, writing on my notes, I was thinking that before you prompted me now. But um, I think the other thing to consider as well is that without Chiesa, I think Italy's attack lacks a, lacks a little bit of dynamism, a little bit of pace maybe, and that is something that Zakangi can bring. So certainly from the bench, I think he is uh, he's someone who could bring something into the Italy squad. And you're right to to underline his good form because he's come into the team. It's it's another thing that I you know that I'm pleased Lazio started doing using more players. I think him and Lads, Ali came back into the team as well, so it's 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 good. And yeah, I, I'm I would uh, definitely have Zakang in the next Italy squad, and I'd be giving him a run out if I was Mancini. Now I want to move on to, to the other side of Rome, where it also sounds like there's been some stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, Joe, we're get, we're going to move to Roma, who who drew two all this weekend. Um, they 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 also got knocked out the Coppa Italia last week, like Lazio. And there are reports that after the game, Mourinho basically asked them, "Why why do you guys shit the bed when you come up against a big team?" Which it seems is perhaps a legitimate question because their record in the last sort of two or three years against top six or seven sides is horrendous. Um, so do you think it's a mentality issue at Roma or do you just think maybe their players aren't quite as good as those top four or five clubs? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, it could be a combination of both, I suppose. I think in terms of the Mourinho story, I think probably more is being made of this than, it. you know, I don't know how much of a story this is. I think it just sounds like old school coaching. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think that's a bit of an antiquated approach and, today you know the modern footballer doesn't respond so well and I, I can't see how that's going to improve the mentality of the players you think back uh, earlier in the season Mourinho did the same thing for his entire reserve team and basically said none of them are good enough and he started calling up Primavera players now he's calling out his first team I just don't see how how this can be good for anyone um, but as I understand it he still has the backing of the Friedkins. They support him. He's they've given him full control of the football side of things, and and it's a project. and And they're still planning on on bringing in players in the summer. So, yeah, it's 
I think it's a bit of both. I think perhaps there's, you know, some quality that's lacking in certain areas. Um, you know, they, they've had to play uh, without some players due to injury for a little while. Um, but there's, there must be something with the mentality as well, because this is a really long stretch now where they just can't seem to get results against, especially against sort of the topper top clubs in, in the league, but they've also been dropping points against some of the weaker clubs. How, how do you feel about Mourinho, both, both of you? What, what do you think about him as a, you know, do you like him? Oh, I, I, I like Mourinho and always have done. I think he's great value. I, I'm not convinced by his coaching in for, you know, for the last six years or so, really. Um, it seems that perhaps things are passing him by a little bit and the same sort of thing. I mean, I, I, I sort of think Tottenham are the Italian equivalent of Roma. Um, so when it was, he was going to go to Roma and Fonseca was going to go to Spurs, I thought that was quite apt, really, because I thought they were just sort of switching to the same club. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know about Roma. I quite like watching Roma. I think they play some decent stuff, but I do think they're, they've been a bit soft for a while. And I mean, one of, one of the questions I was going to ask you and, and, you know, feel free to answer this, they're only six points outside the top four, but do either of you think that they actually have a chance of getting in that top four or, or no chance whatsoever, really? I I would be very su- surprised um, if Roma got into into the top four. I mean, look at, looking at a points different as well. What surprises me is that they're not further away. You know, we've just spoken about Lazio. It feels like Lazio have had a really good period of of uh, you know form, and yet they're only a couple of points ahead of Roma, which which that is what's surprising about it. But I, I would be amazed if they managed to get into the top four. Yeah, I agree with that. I think. I mean, to answer Francesco's question. I love Mourinho in terms of the entertainment value, but I would never want him coaching my club <laughs> because I do think he's uh, well past his prime as far as, as a manager goes. And, and I agree. I, I think with all the competition, you know, besides those top five, we talked about Latu as well. I think it, it's too difficult. If they can't get results against the top clubs, it's just too, too difficult to finish in that top four, in my opinion. I, I, I just, just quickly, what I, I also love Mourinho. I think he's, he is box office, and um, you know, the, generally, I, I really like him. I think he's he's entertaining and, and just a likable character. I don't mind, you know. I know that he's controversial and he says some things. I think a lot of the time he is trolling everyone. He knows what he's doing. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I want to push him down the stairs, but other times I do. I just want to hold him. I mean, when, when I was watching the, the Coppa Italia game, and they interviewed Mourinho after. It's the first time he'd been back to to San Siro and. The Inter guys had bought him a, a San Siro stadium, saying which said "Casa tua, always your home," or "Queste casa tua, this is this will always be your home." And he said, and um, I think he found the interview quite awkward, and he looked quite emotional, but he also found it quite awkward. It was like they were at, he, he bumped into uh, his ex-wife, who he still had some feelings for, and but he really wanted to make it clear that he was with his new girlfriend. Like so, he said, you know, I love my Roma. That's what he actually said. And it, it was a really nice moment. But it also made me think, you know, it's good that he feels that way about Roma. I, I, I also like, you know, Roma is quite a likable club. It's got an interesting place. It, it, you know, there's a lot of emotion there. And I think there is a good match in, in many ways. So it is a bit disappointing that they're struggling on the pitch. 
But I also agree with what you and Joe are saying about him digging his players out. Like he, he said before the game this weekend, don't expect us to play it from the back uh, because we don't have the quality that Ferrari and Lopez have, that Sassuolo have. And if you're Veretù and and uh, Pellegrini and, and Cristan, you know, we're talking about French and Italian internationals uh, and uh, Mancini and and he's saying things like that. How, how can that be good for your confidence? So, yeah, I mean, I love the guy. I think he's really entertaining. And I, and I do think that potentially he could do something at Roma, but we'll just have to wait and see. I just want to move on to perhaps the, the other side who, who have a slight chance of a top four finish, and that's Fiorentina. Um, again, maybe it's looking more likely that they'll get Europa League, Europa Conference League, but they're eighth at the moment, but would go level on points with Lazio if they win their game in hand. Um, Joe, I think people were a bit concerned for them when they lost Vlahovic and then looked awful against Lazio last week. But since then, they beat uh, Atalanta in the Coppa Italia and then beat Spezia on Monday night. Um, so how do you think they're looking? What sort of chance do you give them compared to maybe Roma and Lazio as the outsiders to maybe push towards that top four? Yeah, again, I, I don't think they can they can get there with all the competition, but I have been impressed with the results continuing despite losing Vlahovic. Obviously he was such a key part of their attack. We'll see if Piontek can, can pick up some of the slack. If Artur Cabral can pick up some of the slack it, so far they have, we saw, you know, Piontek, uh, I think he got a brace in the Copa Italia uh, against Atalanta. He scored a, another one, he even missed a penalty kick um, in that, that match was at Spezia, you said. And then, uh, yeah. I think Cabral got his first assist. So maybe between the two of them, they can pick up, uh, make, you know, make up the difference between uh, with Vlahovic gone in terms of goal production. Um, I, but I think even if Vlahovic was still there, I still don't think Fiorentina would quite contest or compete for that, that top four there. I agree. They're probably in there with Roma and Lazio competing for uh, Europa League. And uh, Francesco has your opinion on Piontek? Changed the tool. I, I know you. You're not yeah. a massive fan of him. But do you think he's doing another Milan where he starts well and then after about five games he falls off a cliff? Yeah, I thought this question was coming just for some context, Joe. Basically, last week I said that Pionsing was a was a bag of rubbish, and um, uh, I mean, uh, I I think in the uh, towards the end of his time in Italy, he he was a bag of rubbish uh, in my defence, but. I'm pleased that he started well. He what what is what is very pleasing. I mean, he, what is pleasing about Piontek's form as well is not just that he scored a couple of goals. He looks like he is getting lots of chances. You know, his movement is there. It looks like he is going to score goals. And so, uh, I I'm with Joe on this. I I think that actually I'm a, I'm more excited about Cabral. I think Cabral could could really do a good job in Italy. I hope I hope it takes off for him because I think I see someone there with you know, all the kind of attributes to be an important player. Uh, and he's, you know, there's, it, it, it's not a fluke that you get those numbers in Switzerland and in Europe, you know, he's been scoring goals and he has a lot of attributes that I think would suit this Fiorentina side. Um, and and I'd say that, you know, it's, I'm amazed if they get into the top four, I don't think that's going to happen, but they have, they do have a chance of getting to the Europa League and um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But um you know, good for Piontek, I suppose. <laughs> Shout out to um, Amrabat for the, you know, he he got dispossessed on the on the equalizer by Agudelo and then he comes back and scores the uh, the game-winning goal. That was, I was happy to see that for him. 
I've always, I've always quite liked Amrabat. I thought he, I thought he was very good at Verona. Um, not quite done as well at Fiorentina, but, but really good player in there for sure. I, I want to now focus on the relegation battle. Um, because Venezia pulled off, <clears throat> you know, a, a surprise win against Torino. I think we can say, and Cagliari drew with Empoli. So Francesco, that leaves Venezia and Cagliari now level on points and level on goal difference. We got about what. 14 games to go, something like that. Who's more likely to stay up, would you say? Maybe the momentum in terms of results is with Cagliari, but Venezia just pulled out that win, so it's very difficult to choose, right? Yeah, I, 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 I can see why lots of people are fond of this Venezia side. I think there's, there's an interesting story there. You know, there's, there's that mystique of playing actually in Venice and arriving at the stadium by boat. They've got a nice kit. Um, they, they put loads of photons, photos of social media of beautiful people wearing the kits. I can see why that's popular with people. In terms of the football, I'd say, and, and I, I have come under their spell a bit, you know, I'd quite like this Veneta side to stay up. But I don't think you can get away from the fact that Napoli's squad is better than the teams around them. You know, they have a mid-table squad, I'd say. And you have to think that in the long run, that kind of quality will come to the fore. So if you're asking me to pick between the two, I, I probably would say Cagliari. You said, you said Napoli then first, but I, uh, so, I, sorry. I assume... I assume sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously. Yeah, I'm the Napoli fans again. We've got a mid-table squad, but uh, no, no. Yeah, I, I, I get your I, point. I, yeah, I, I think yeah, you're... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, and I want to then go on to Genoa and Salernitana, who are also down there, the two bottom sides. They drew this weekend, um, which now leaves Genoa six points from safety, Salernitana eight points from safety. What do you make of this, Joe? Have they both left themselves too much to do, do you think? I think so, yeah. I, I just can't see them making up that much ground with so few games left and with the way those other two teams, Venezia and, and Cagliari, are playing at the moment, I think that that hill is too too steep to climb. On on the previous question, yeah, just a quick comment on Cagliari. With that draw, they've actually in six matches in 2022, they've now collected more points they did in all of 2021 this season. So they're they're really in fine form under uh, Mazzari there. And I think with, with them playing like that, I just can't see how Salernitana and, and Genoa can get out of this. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think there's still some hope that Cagliari go down, but well, <laughs> I, I, I am biased, I must admit. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. And just the final game from the weekend to touch on, and that was Verona against Udinese. Um, Verona got a 4-0 win, uh, Francesco, which... Um, leaves them perhaps in the chance of, you know, pushing in towards that top seven. Um, but I want to focus more on Udinese, who I think at the start of the season, there were worries about because of them losing to Paul and, and Musso. Then they seem to be doing OK. But actually looking at the table, they're only sort of a handful of points above the bottom three. So are you, are you a bit concerned for them that they might get dragged into this? I, I don't really think so. I think um, they... They have a bit of a gap there, and I, I think they are better than the sides below them, um, or certainly the sides in the relegations. And I'd also say that this result, whilst it seems like an emphatic Verona victory, is actually a little bit of a lie. I think if you look at the stats, I, I, um, I think it was Montipo who played in golf for Verona. He had an amazing game, and um, 
I think the shot count was something like 19 to 5 in Udinese's favour. So they had long periods of the game where they were actually on top, but Verona's finishing was clinical and yeah, they came away with a with a big win. Um, so yeah, I mean, Udinese, the first season without some big players, it's, it's not been particularly great, but I do think they'll stay up. Yeah, still, still got a little bit of um, you know a buffer between them and them and the bottom three. Uh, I'd now like to move on to the European games coming this week. We, we you know, European football is back, uh, and we start with a with a bit of a belter on Wednesday night between um, Inter at home to Liverpool. Joe, what sort of chance do you give Inter of um, of upsetting Liverpool? Because I think they start this tie as quite clear underdogs, right? They do, and and to be honest, I don't give them too much of a chance. I, I think, look, I think we all agree that Inter are probably the best team in Italy, and so, you know, it, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but they're also playing without some pretty important players to that squad. I think Barella suspended, I believe, for both matches, um, and Bastoni's hurt. So I think, you know, it, it was tough enough to play against Liverpool even with a healthy squad, and then you take out two important players like that, especially Barello, you look at that midfield, Inter have options off the bench, but no one as good as him. So I think it's going to be tough for them. Give give us a percentage, Joe. What percentage should you give them? <laughs> then uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say um, 15. Wow. Very low. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess they're away at Anfield, the second leg as well. I get okay, what what percentage chance do you give of them doing getting a decent result tomorrow? And we're recording this on Tuesday, by the way, guys. So in the home leg at San Siro, maybe pull out a draw at home, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think that's that's more likely a, a win. I, I'd say maybe in the thirty to forty percent range, so maybe a little higher, and then you do the opposite in the return fixture, and it averages out to. I guess by that math, I would be saying they have a percent chance in the away fixture, but um, uh, yeah, I'd say uh, draws draws doable. Um, still a relatively low percentage that they get a win. How about you, Sam? Um, I think it's looking tough for them. Um. But I, I can see them getting an OK result tomorrow, possibly. Um, I think Liverpool, I, they're in good form in terms of results, but they, they do keep playing this ridiculously high line and they have been caught out at times. By I remember watching them against Crystal Palace maybe about three weeks ago and they looked really dodgy in that game and were quite fortunate to win that. So... Inter can cause them problems, I don't think. I don't think this is a Man City. I think if Inter were playing Man City, I'd give them very little chance. Um, I think against Liverpool, they've got a slightly better chance. Percentage? Give us a percentage. Percentage. Tomorrow, I give them um, just less than 50. 45% chance of them getting a draw or a win. Over the two legs, in terms of beating Liverpool, I give them like a 10-15% chance of, of wow. getting past them. What about you, you then? You, you sound like you're quite optimistic. Well, no, I thought I was, I was quite, I mean, I thought I was being pessimistic with my percentages. I've written them down. So I'd written kind of 35-40% with Barella. Obviously, Barella's not there. I, I feel like Barella, you know, Joe makes a good point, especially against Liverpool. I think one of Liverpool's strongest points is their dynamism i feel like they are 
an incredibly quick pacey team that do things quickly and Barella is probably Inter's most dynamic player you know he'd be the one who could counter that a little bit so not having him and probably having 33 year old or 33 year old Vidal instead is is a bit of a drop-off so I had a kind of 35 percent 40 percent with Barella without him kind of 25 to 30 percent so yeah I agree with you guys that Liverpool are heavy favorites but I I don't think that Inter should be necessarily thinking that way you know I, I I hope that they go into the game confident that they can they can uh, pull out a result and and playing as if they have a good chance of getting through because I, I do think they have a chance of getting through and I do think they are a stand-up team you know they're probably not not you know they've been improving steadily over the past three or four years they're probably not at the level of a kind of top eight European side, you know, Champions League quarterfinal side yet, but I think they are going in that direction. And I'd say they're not far off being a kind of top 10 European side. So I, I hope that they show that in these two matches. Yeah, their, their first uh, Champions League knockout game in a decade. So hopefully they do Serie A proud in that. Um, and then we move on to Thursday night where we've got Europa League back um, with these like playoff games, a bit different this year. So, of course, we'll start, Joe, with the big one, which is Barcelona and Napoli. Um, you know, two of Maradona's former clubs. Yeah, this is a pretty historic fixture. This isn't the Barcelona of a decade ago or, or whatever. We all know that. So are, are you quietly optimistic that Napoli can get through this one? I am. I think uh, we. I like our chances. I think it'll be a pretty even match. Obviously, um, both clubs have a history of playing in Europe, but Barcelona have been far more successful. But there's been a lot of change. I think, you know, I admittedly, I don't watch a whole lot of La Liga, so I'm going based off what I've read and, and heard from others, but they have been improving under Xavi in a way. I, I think their improvement in the league might change their, their goals in the Europa league, because at one point it looked like the only way they were going to get into the champions league was if they won the Europa league. Now they're back in the top four of La Liga. I think, you know, they, they've been playing better with uh, some of the new signings. Traorita in, in particular has been playing well. So I think it's it's an interesting match. I think there's definitely a lot of weaknesses. The last time we played them, they had Messi. So obviously not having him makes a big difference. And I think it'll be entertaining. I think it'll be competitive. But I do like Na- Napoli's chances of uh, coming out on top in this one. Percentage? Uh, for the tie, I mean, I like Napoli's chances. But I, I you know, I, again, I think it's fairly even. I'm going to say... For the tie, maybe sixty uh, percent Napoli, um, and and maybe I'll, I'll call it a, a 50-50 in the uh, in the the Barcelona fixture. Yep, that sounds fair enough. Um, and then I, w- I want to move on to Francesco, another tie which looks particularly appetizing on paper, and that's Lazio against Porto. Porto are um, a top of the Portuguese league at the moment and looking looking pretty decent. Before Christmas, it looked like Lazio was sort of doing everything possible to try not to get through to the next stages of Europe um, with some of the teams that Sari was putting out. But but they are there now. C- can you see them getting past Porto? Yeah, the point you make about about Sari putting out kind of weaker teams, um, you know, is an important one. I think 
uh, right now, I, I feel like this lateral side, as we've said already, is going places. I feel like they're playing well. And I also feel like Porto, you know, I haven't seen Porto in the, in the league this season. What I've seen of them in the Champions League has not been that impressive. You know, I think they they uh, they beat Milan, but that's probably the worst Milan played in all of their six group fixtures. And against the other sides, they really struggled. So I do think Lazio have a chance in this tie, provided they go after it. Um, I think the strongest Lazio side could could give this Porto side a uh, game. So I, I, you know, I, I've written down kind of 50-50 chance in this one. And then the final Italian side involved in the Europa League this week is Atalanta, obviously dropping down from the Champions League. Um, they play Olympiacos. Could, could this maybe be a bit of a welcome distraction for Atalanta, Joe. Um, they've had a tough time in the league. They've just been knocked out of the Coppa Italia. So, you know, this is their one trophy opportunity this year. Um, do you see them having a good chance against Olympiacos? I do. And, and that was exactly the point I was going to make. I think Atalanta are desperate to win a trophy. And now we know it's not going to be the Coppa Italia. We're pretty sure it's not going to be the Scudetto. So I can see them taking the Europa League very seriously. And I can see them having a very strong chance despite their, their recent form. I think they're still a quality side and they should see, see their way past Olympiacos. I think easily. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Olympiacos can be a bit of a mixed bag, but yeah, Atalanta should probably enter that game as favorites uh, despite current form. But yeah, interesting week coming up with Europe, Europe football being back. Really looking forward to that. Thanks a lot for joining me, Joe and Francesco. We'll catch you again soon, I'm sure. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Ciao.